0: we sang a song that we find our strength in the shadow of his wing that hit me like a ton of bricks just the idea just the picture of finding your strength in the shadow of his wing just to know he's watching over you he's got you covered he provides you all the strength you need all the grace that we need day to day I'm just going to read this. It's just a scripture It came to me. But in John chapter 7, this is what Jesus said. He said, On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture says, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive... For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. I want to ask a question. This isn't part of my sermon yet. I tend to come up with a lot of things while I'm in worship. (laughs) And you don't have to answer this except to yourself. But how often do you come to a gathering of his people to a meeting like this? What expectation do you really have of the Holy Spirit moving amongst us in power? And you have to ask yourself that, right? Because I know from myself personally that maybe there's plenty of times I come to meetings and it's just, hate to say it, another meeting. It can never be that way. There's reasons why Jesus sent the Holy Spirit. And I want to look at some of those reasons this morning. This study, um, if you want to turn to Romans 8, we'll be there in a minute. But this, this study for me is a continuing part of a series that I've been doing at the prison. And I've been doing a series ever since I taught on 2 Corinthians 5.17 that says, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation old things have passed away and behold all things have become new and I've been spending numerous weeks looking at what does it mean to be in Christ what does it mean to be in union with Christ because when it comes right down to it it's all we have it's everything is who we are in christ and the subject for me anyway just gets bigger and bigger and more massive as i study it so this morning all i want to do is take the carving knife and we're just going to slice off a little sliver and trust that the holy spirit will reveal something to each one of us here because if he doesn't speak to us i don't know why we're here But to be in Christ, is it an actual experience? Is it it something that is more than just terminology that Paul the Apostle liked to use in most of his letters? Is in Christ something that is of vital importance to us? Is it something that we derive life and energy and power from Him? Or is it just some legal term that we use and say, well, I'm in Christ, therefore I'm forgiven, I'm righteous, I'm just. All because of what Christ did. And there's three ways of looking at this. There's three, not ways, but what I've done is I've broken into just three things that we are in Christ. And the first one would be, He's our representative. These are the things that we grasp onto early in our Christian experience. The forgiveness of sins because of His sacrifice. His righteousness being imputed to us. Us standing just before a holy and righteous God because of what He did as our representative, as our substitute. Our being elect in Him before the foundation of the world. What does that mean to you? Because it means a lot if you just ponder it. That you have been elect in Him before the foundation of the world, that you may be holy and blameless. Romans tells us, that as, as by one man's sin or by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. What a glorious thing to have Jesus Christ as our representative. We all have to start there. There is no other starting place than to have Jesus Christ as your Savior, as the one who stood in your place, bore your penalty, and now His righteousness is imputed to you and you stand just before God. All in Him. In Him. You have no righteousness of your own. We have nothing to bring to God. Jesus brought it all. And as we find ourselves in Him, He gives us the things we need. The second thing is, the nature of us being in Christ or in union with Him would be the transformative effect that it should have on our lives. The idea that Us being in Him is not simply some legal or external things that God has done through His Son on our behalf, but what has He done to transform His people, those who He has called? Because if there's something He's done to transform us, we need to be making application. We need to be finding out what what is this in Christ? What has been provided for us in Him that causes us to live this life pleasing to him. You know, we're told in John 15, he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you and I can do absolutely nothing. Zero. It's all him, isn't it? It really is. It's us in our desperateness of faith. That's how I see it. Because as a sinner, you are in a desperate need of clinging and holding on to the one. Not a series of doctrines or a series of of beliefs, so to speak. But you are clinging on to the one who brings you salvation. You're holding on to Jesus You're holding on to a person who has pioneered the way from here to there. And he has made a way for us all. And then there's the consummation of all things. Those who will be found in him at the end. We all know that there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. That the dead in Christ are going to rise first. That all these things are part of what we already are in As his new creation, there's a new heaven, new earth, there's a new order coming. We all believe that, right? You are in that now if you are a new creation in Christ. You are being prepared. So, to be in Christ is our salvation. There's no other way to say it. The receiving of what he has done, the living out of what we have received. And the realization or consummation of what will be done. So it's a something that has been, something that we're in now, and something that we look forward to in the future. One man summed up union with Christ. and Like I said, this subject is bigger than this room. And there's so many facets to it, but this man summed it up when he wrote, Union with Christ is a central New Testament description of Christian identity. The life of salvation in Christ. It entails the giving of a new identity such that in Christ, forgiveness and new life are received through the Spirit. Union with Christ involves abiding in Christ the vine. It means that through the Spirit, sinners are adopted into the household of God as co-heirs with Christ. It means that God's Spirit is poured out to make the life and teaching of Jesus real to us. It implicates our worship, our vocation in the world, and our witness as the church. Union with Christ is theological shorthand for the gospel itself. A key image that pulls together numerous motifs in the biblical witness. When I think about what Jesus has done for us, I want to receive it all. Because the price was way too high to neglect any of it. It's too high a price to pay for us to set aside things that he purchased and bought with his life, his death. We can't just walk through life picking and choosing what we like and what we don't like. So our being in Christ is a new order of life. In him as our representative, in him as he who transforms, and in him at the consummation of all things. So I want to look this morning at one small sliver of that transformative effect of being in Christ. This is where it's our salvation applied. It's, It's what I'm going to call today the spiritual walk. The spiritual walk. Because this is where we, we spend all of our time, is right here and now. Our lives in this world, isn't it? And Paul uses the word walk quite a bit. Now, if anybody noticed, and I don't expect you did, but Karen and I weren't here for three meetings. We actually got to have a vacation. And it was way too short. <laughs> But we did a lot of walking on our vacation. We like to hike. We like to take trails in the mountains and do things like that. So, you know, we, don't, we, we, we tend to walk today. We think of taking a walk as a leisurely, uh, recreational thing. Or we do it for exercise. Or we do it for a lot of reasons. But it's estimated that the Apostle Paul, during his ministry, walked 10,000 miles. Now you talk about walking 10,000 miles for the cause of Christ and then you can talk to me about what a walk is because I think the man understood what it meant to walk with purpose from one destination to the next. And that's what our spiritual walk is. It's from right here, right now, to where we are going. It's where he's leading. It's where he's taken us as individuals and as a church but it's him who causes us to walk and give us a choice of how we should walk and when we talk about applying our salvation it really is about how we live our lives if you were going to define what it means to walk see, i like to use i like to take the simplest for me this is how i learn Take the simplest thing in the Bible walk and think what is it what is Paul talking about now I I just you know estimated estimated 10,000 miles Paul walked from one destination to the other it's it's one step in front of another right you don't start here and get there in one step do you it's a walk it's a progression it's a transporting of yourself from here to there and it's done one step at a time scripture would define it though as Also to regulate one's life your walk is your life, isn't it? That's how you conduct yourself. It's how you pass your life You are going through this journey One way or another You you don't have a choice. Do you (laughs) I mean aren't you kind of stuck in this world? You've you've got no choice but to keep moving somewhere, right? You're going somewhere. But in Romans 8, let me get there, Romans 8. and verse 1, says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. I look at that and I go there's two walks in this life isn't there there's two walks in this life there aren't a third there's no options you're either walking in the flesh in union with Adam and his fallen nature or you're walking in his spirit and this is your spiritual walk you know in Galatians the end of Galatians 5 Paul wrote, and he says, if you thereby live by the Spirit, walk in the Spirit. The ESV translation says, keep in step with the Spirit. I'm not promoting that translation, but it's interesting to think that if you're going to walk in the Spirit, what does that mean? And is this part of how we live? Is it really how we live? Are we living our lives as spiritual people, keeping in step with the Holy Spirit? Or do we, like we heard this morning, are there things clogging the drains? Are there things in our lives that grieve the Holy Spirit, that keep Him from doing the very work He was sent to do? So, What is the Holy Spirit doing? I mean the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit is fully God, right? We'd all agree to that? He's not part of God, is He? He's not less than God, is He? He's a person. He's a person. And we all know that the difference between walking or we should know, the difference between walking in the flesh and walking in the spirit is really two different natures. You're either following, you're either following the fallen nature that Adam left us, and you're obeying its lusts and doing what it tells you to do, or you're like I heard this morning, yielding to the Holy Spirit who has made you a spiritual person. But is there a way to to hinder that walk? You know, in the beginning, way back in the beginning of the Bible, right? Genesis chapter 1. Man was created in whose image? Right? Right? man was created in the image of God because he said let us make man in our image according to our likeness so God created man in his own image and the image of God created he them male and female created he them what happened at one point right we all know the Genesis story And we look back and go, well, that's so many thousands of years ago. We don't know what that image was truly like, do we? We look back and we go, that must have been a wonderful place to live and to exist, to be created in the image of God and have that creation, you being created to have communion And fellowship with your creator. Unbroken. We don't know what that's like because we were born separate, weren't we? What we have is Christ, the image restorer. Christ is the one who came. Christ is the one who now is called the last Adam. He's the one that came and identified himself with us. One man, one man incarnate, the Son of God incarnate, unifies himself with humanity. One man. And then what does he do? He sends his Holy Spirit and his Holy Spirit unifies many to himself. It's all about being restored to the image that God intended for man. Now, how does that happen? Willpower? Keep the law? Try harder? Come on. You got it in you, right? Right? Hey, listen, I'm old enough to know I don't have it in me of myself. You don't either. Some of you young guys are out there going, Hey, you you telling I don't have it. You don't. You don't. You really don't. Because we're talking about a level that demands our desperate need of His Spirit. I'm talking about desperate when Jesus cried out, if any man thirsts. I hope you're all thirsty. I hope you find that, you know what? I come to meetings. I hear the word. I worship. I fellowship. I do a lot of good things. All good. But am I thirsty for his Holy Spirit? Am I desperate Am I, do I see myself in desperate need of the Holy Spirit he sent to empower us, to strengthen us in our inner man? Jesus is called the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person in Hebrews 1. He's called the image of the invisible God in Colossians 1, 15. Our union with Christ, I'm going to start my message now, Our union with Christ is affected by His Holy Spirit. It's not an intellectual union. It's not something that we can can wrap our mind around and figure out. Our union with Him is when He sends His Spirit to us and we become united by the same Spirit, His Spirit. So that all that he is and all that he's done now becomes ours through the Holy Spirit. You know, when Christ identified with humanity, it was the second person of the Trinity uniting himself to us. And by sending his Holy Spirit, he does unite us to him. Did you just turn over to John chapter 14? We all know the farewell discourse. In John chapter 14, we all know that at this point, Jesus knows his hour has come. He's getting ready to leave. He knows what's about to come to pass to these men. Men like Peter who think they've got it all together. Men like Peter, who like some of us thought, nah, they're all going to forsake you, but not me. Nah. nah, I'm strong. I've got it. He's talking to men, and he knows their weakness. He knows how weak they are as human beings, as those who are in Adam. But in John chapter 14 and verse 10, he says, Do you not believe, and this is talking about his His oneness and His unity with the Father through the Spirit. Here we got got the Trinity all as one. But in verse 10, He says, Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the work. How does the Father dwell in Jesus? It's by Spirit, isn't it? So here we have the Trinity right here, and we have, we have a unity, right? One being, one unified God. Three persons. And then in verse 20, he says, And at that day you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. So if the Father's in Jesus and Jesus is in the Father and the Holy Spirit is what joins them all together and then we are in him, who joins us to him? It's the Holy Spirit. We all become united. And in verse 23, Jesus answered and said to him, If any man loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. There's something that should, at least in my opinion, and you can call it my opinion all you want, and you have to decide, but when I look at Scripture and I look at the book of Acts and I look at the New Testament, what I see is this unity in Christ that we have through his spirit is something that's powerful. It's not just external and legal. It's something that affects us, or it should, or it has to. But we're not even His. Because when we're united to Him through His Spirit, something has got to change in our lives, doesn't it? You've been translated from the power of Satan and his dark kingdom and him as your ruler to where? The kingdom of light, the kingdom of his son and you now are under his rulership right there that ought to transform you something needs to change but the person of the holy spirit and and you know I guess through the years I've heard enough people and I'm not I don't want to be I'm not trying to be critical but I've heard and I'm not talking about in here just talking about people who You begin to hear people refer to the Holy Spirit as it. Or we, and I know what people mean when they say this, and again, I'm not criticizing, the baptism. I know what they mean. The Holy Spirit is not the baptism. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. And that person was sent to live in us. So the personal Holy Spirit, one and in, one in the same God as the Son and the Father, isn't he? Now, Bruce Ware, in a small book he wrote on the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this is how he defined the Trinity. He said, there is one and only one God, externally, eternally, I'm sorry, eternally existing and fully expressed in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Each member of the Godhead is equally God. Each is eternally God and each is fully God. Not three gods, but three persons in one Godhead. Each person is equal in essence as each possesses fully the identically same eternal divine nature. Yet each is also an eternal and distinct personal expression of the one undivided divine nature. The Holy Spirit then is fully God. He's not one-third God, but fully God. Yet it is not the Spirit alone who is fully God, but He eternally exists along with the Father and the Son, each of whom possesses fully the identically same divine nature. Now, when somebody tries to explain the Trinity, I think you almost need that many words sometimes. (laughs) But the point I'm trying to make is the Holy Spirit that He sent to flow out from us As living waters is a person. It's the person of the Holy Spirit. So, what role does the Holy Spirit play? When do we first hear of the Spirit of God? Does anybody know? What's the first account in Scripture where we hear about the Spirit of God? Over the waters. The Holy Spirit has a role that we tend to see as almost, it's like a back seat. He does the work, yet he gets very little credit, doesn't he? And yet he's still God. We know that uh, we have this in creation, he hovered over the waters. And then we have uh, Bethzaliel when they were building the tabernacle. It said the Spirit of God came upon him in wisdom and understanding. Gideon, Joshua, David. In fact, it says in Second Peter one twenty one. it says that prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God as they spoke, as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Or some would translate that carried along by the Holy Spirit. So we even know that all this, all this is, is what? Spiritual. We know that. But if we're going to be united to the Son by His Spirit, in what way then and how does that affect us? Because we can can have this imagined idea of Jesus, the risen Christ, who now sits at the right hand of the throne of God, and we're united to Him, and He sent His Holy Spirit, and that's great. But did the Holy Spirit have a role in Jesus' humanity? Because when it comes right down to it, that's what we're united to. We know that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, right? The incarnation only took place because of the Holy Spirit overshadowing Mary. We know that when he went to be baptized in the River Jordan, that the Spirit came upon him. We know that after he left the Jordan... He was, I like to read this, he was driven (laughs) or he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. When he was done being tempted, it says that he returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. When he read out of Isaiah in the synagogue, what did he read? He read that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And he went on to read all that was prophesied about him. Jesus even said, if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. And then we all know Acts 10.38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. So when we look at Jesus the man, when we look at Jesus flesh and blood like us living here in this earth, who empowered him and who assisted him to do all the works that he did? It's the Holy Spirit. He was as dependent as he expects us to be. He was given the Spirit without measure, it says. What a life. That every word he spoke then became the Word of God. I wish that we all could just close our mouths and only speak when the Holy Spirit told us to say something. That's not going to happen. <laughs> I know people, <laughs> I know myself. But we got to remember that Jesus, in his humanity, was dependent upon and was assisted by the Holy Spirit as a man to do all the things that he did. And yet, he did them all, never sinned. And now, he, because of what he did, restored the image of man that was lost. He became the restored image. He became the obedient one who followed God 100%, overcame the devil in every way, defeated him in every sickness and ailment, cast out demons, all by the power of the Holy Spirit. So if it's the Holy Spirit that unites us to him, Is it the same Holy Spirit? I mean, is it the same Holy Spirit that assisted Jesus? Is this the same Holy Spirit that he sent? Because we know he sent the Holy Spirit, right? He sent the Holy Spirit to his church so that we could all speak in tongues. That's not hardly the end, is it? That's like the beginning. That's like the beginning. And I preached a little bit of this at the prison and I thought you know there are people in this world who will try to tell you that the Holy Spirit doesn't do certain things anymore in this world and you know what my answer is to that? Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are to tell others what the Holy Spirit is still doing or not doing? How dare you ever in your scholarly, intellectual hierarchy, think that you could tell others what the Holy Spirit in His person is doing or not doing today. Because I want the Holy Spirit in fullness. Amen. That's right. Here and in my life. Because He was sent to live through us. When Paul says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, but not I. But Christ lives in me. That's the Holy Spirit living in us and through us. I never want to hear anybody diminish his work and say, well... We don't see those things happening anymore, so it must not be what the Holy Spirit's doing. And, and honestly, we can't say that we see a lot happening here in a realm like they saw in the New Testament, in the book of Acts. I'm just being honest, right? I'm not trying to... <laughs> I'm just saying, we are to be those who move... In the same spirit that Jesus sent from the Father to his church. Because he says, I go to receive the promise of the Spirit. And when I get there, I'm sending it to you. And you will be my witnesses. And you will be empowered. I'm not looking for goosebumps. And lightning to come out of our fingers because it's more than that. The gifts of the Spirit in Corinthians flowed, but they were still called carnal people, weren't they? What I'm really trying to talk to you about or what I'm trying to bring out of Scripture is how do we walk? Are we walking in that Spirit? Are we walking with the knowledge and the mindset that the things that are spiritual is what dictates my life? Or am I carnally driven? Because you have, we all have to ask that question. Maybe we're not desperate enough to think, you know what, I'm getting by. I'm getting by. I'm getting by. We all get by, don't we? We live in a country where hey, you, we can all get by. We could probably all quit working and get on welfare. Paul wouldn't have a bit of that. (laughs) No, we couldn't do that, could we? Our consciences wouldn't let us. But we live in a country and in a culture where there is no debtor's prison. There is no requirements, right? We can get by. We can always get by. We're not getting by spiritually if we're not dependent on the Holy Spirit, if we're not walking in His Spirit. The Holy Spirit was sent. He was sent that we could know him. He was sent that he could dwell in us. He was sent that he could bring to remembrance things that we need to know. He was sent to testify of Jesus. He was sent to convict the world of sin. He was sent to guide us into all truth. He hears And he speaks. Whatever he hears, he speaks. He was sent to glorify Jesus. So if I catch any of you in here barking like a dog and clucking like a chicken and laughing uncontrollably, I'm going to tell you that's not glorifying Jesus and that is not the Holy Spirit. That's easy enough to define that one, isn't it? If you're writhing around on the floor and carrying on <clears throat> I'm sorry brother but there's no glorifying Jesus in that and that's what he was sent to do so Jesus said he would send the Holy Spirit and when did he when did he send him Pentecost right we all know the story of Pentecost right in Acts they were all assembled together. He commanded them not to part from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me, for truly John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. All right, when John baptized in water, he dipped his hand in the Jordan, and he took a few drops and sprinkled it on their heads, Right? And he said, and so Jesus said, just like John was baptizing in water, I'm going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. It's going to be little bits of drips kind of hitting you. Now, when you're baptized by John in the Jordan, you're fully immersed. You're totally enveloped in the Holy Spirit, then, aren't you? If Jesus is going to baptize you like John baptized in the Jordan, you should expect to be endued, totally enveloped with his Holy Spirit. He didn't send them in little drips, drops. It said in the, when they were all in the upper room waiting, and a sound came from heaven like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the room. Yeah, and they all spoke in tongues and prophesied. Yeah, amen. Just like we do here. No, we don't have to do that to walk a spiritual life. It's just what happened then, isn't it? I think about Pentecost, and by Jesus, the risen, glorified Christ, the overcomer over all things, he then received the promise of the Holy Spirit and sent it to his church. The risen Christ sends his spirit to the church. And in the next chapter, what do you read about Peter and John? Peter and John go to the temple, right? That's what they're going to do. Lame man begging for alms. And Peter says, here's a nickel, brother. Silver and gold have I none. But what I have, I'm given to you. What did he have? Read the chapter before. What I have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Amen. What a testimony that was to the Sadducees who did not believe in the resurrected, or didn't believe in a resurrection. Read the whole story. It became a testimony to the Sadducees that there was a risen victorious Christ who sent his spirit to this earth so that that man could receive his strength. Yeah, right. What evidence did they have? What Can you imagine? The Sadducees had nothing to say. They're like, it happened. Yeah. I mean, you can imagine what they're doing. They're, uh, we don't believe in the resurrection. So what? <laughs> <laughs> Good for you. You don't believe that the Spirit moves in gifts anymore. Okay, well, one day, maybe we'll prove those people wrong. Maybe one day, the power of the Holy Spirit will so flow through us that we will become His witnesses to the world. And we will glorify Jesus by the Holy Spirit. I can't imagine how that story could be any better. Such as I have, I give. Walking and leaping. Right in the Sadducees' face. But that's how God works, isn't it? He demonstrates his power not so that we can put a picture up in the lobby of whoever prayed for that person. (laughs) It always glorifies Jesus because the Holy Spirit is not you and it's not me. It's the person of the risen Christ who has sent His power by His Spirit to us. His victory then becomes ours. His experience as a human, as He overcame everything by the Spirit, becomes ours. His death on the cross becomes ours. His resurrection becomes ours. It's all through the Spirit. It's all by His power. You still in Romans? Did I have you turn? Romans 8. So, how do we walk in the Spirit? Or better yet, let me contrast that. How did you at one time walk in the flesh? Did whatever your nature told you to do, didn't you? You didn't give it a second thought, did you? You just did. It was like natural, wasn't it? Do you think that Jesus, by sending his Holy Spirit, expects us now to have totally transformed lives by the power of his Spirit? Or do you think we can sort of enter in to the Spirit on a Sunday morning? I mean, is, is, your walk, is your walk every day, Monday through, I mean, really? Is it every day? You're walking through this world every day, right? How do you walk through this world on Monday through Saturday? Are you walking with a spiritual mindset, or do you just figure, you know what, I'll just get into it on Sunday? Are we setting aside... Spiritual matters in place of carnal matters. Now, believe me, I, you know we all have to pay bills. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about having a mindset, though, because that's what we're going to see. Romans eight five. What things do we do if we walk in the spirit? Because Galatians five, Paul said, if you walk in the spirit, you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. It's it's actually impossible because they're contrary one to another. So if you're walking in the Spirit, it's impossible for you to fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And if you walk in the flesh, it's impossible for you to fulfill the lusts and desires of the Spirit. But in verse 5, it says, For those who live according to the flesh do what? They set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their mind where? things of the spirit, spiritual things. I hope every one of you in here, and I think most of you do, you either are listening to the word or you're listening to good music or you're doing something that's spiritual in nature with your brain. Because if your time is spent all about carnality, you're part of the we heard this morning about the drain being all clogged all we need to do is get out of the way all we need to do to be walkers of a spiritual walk is to set our minds on things that are spiritual verse 13 he tells us if we live according to the flesh we're gonna die But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Who's putting to death? How do you put to death the deeds of the body? By the Spirit. When you think, when you think in terms of who's been sent on our behalf to assist and power and enable us To live this life would it be a good thing to set your mind there or do you want to spend your time thinking about carnal things or how even you can do things for God that's just as carnal as my mind is coming up with your own fleshly ideas of how I'm just gonna it's all about the power of the Holy Spirit it's all about his sending his spirit in verse 14 it says for as many as are led by the Spirit of God these are the sons of God believe me friends if you're not being led of the Spirit I mean it's kind of obvious isn't it you're not a son it's only those who are led and in verse 26 we need to also be praying with the help of the Spirit. Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So when we think in terms of us being united to Christ with us being in union with him and all he has done and all he is doing and all he has accomplished it's always going to be through his spirit because jesus is in heaven in a glorified human body at the right hand of the majesty on high but he sent his holy spirit here to unite us to him as the victorious Overcoming. Redeemer. Would it be fair to say then that being transformed into God's image would then entail looking, acting, talking, and treating others and how we relate to God as exactly how Jesus did it? I mean that's what we're all looking for, isn't it? To walk and live as Jesus lived. We'll remember how he did it. And it was by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus didn't just come down to earth and go, I'm Son of God. I got this. Now I got this. Jesus relied on the Holy Spirit for everything he saw, everything he spoke we can do the same. He sent His Spirit here that we as His body could do the same. So can we say that if we are walking a spiritual walk, if we are walking in the Spirit and not in the flesh, is there any fruit that should manifest? Right? I mean, the fruit of the Spirit is. And there's far too many people that I know and I'm not talking about it in here again you know I like to leave us out because we're we're up there I mean we've but I do I have a concern for people who make a profession of faith and yet I see no fruit after 10 15 20 years you you almost feel some kind of burden to go say you really a Christian <laughs> how do you start that conversation it's not easy these people already think they are but when there's no fruit i'm talking none or the opposite and you go how can we say that we're christians yet we bear no fruit i think we're deceiving ourselves if you're one of them and that's a dangerous place to be because you're drawing a wrong conclusion about what your life is all about but the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace long-suffering kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. But you know, Jesus told us, and I'll close with this, Jesus told us in Luke 11 that God is not stingy about giving us the Holy Spirit, is He? If we really want to live in the power of His Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit within us, living and doing things that glorify Jesus. Luke 11 says what? You you fathers, I might be paraphrasing, you fathers who are evil, you know how to give good gifts to your children, then they ask, and you're corrupt. How much more is your heavenly Father Willing to give you the Holy Spirit. He wants us to be filled to the brim with His Spirit. He wants us to walk a life that is totally controlled, enveloped, and empowered by His Spirit. Not our ideas of how to do things. I would love to hear a testimony out of somebody here that they went down to this temple to pray and they met a lame man on the way and the guy was begging and you know what? What I have, I gave that man and he got up and walked because the power of the name of Jesus by faith causes people To get up and walk. It's the Holy Spirit that He sent on the day of Pentecost. It's the person of God, divinity, dwelling in us. He's the one we need to desire long after, be thirsty for, be willing to yield to, have a desire for. Setting our minds on. Not so we can bark like dogs. <laughs> quack like a duck. Whatever they were doing back in them days. I'm talking about a genuine expression of God himself through you and I. Because that to me is what it's all about. It's about the glorification of the risen Christ. Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you, for, thank you for all that you've given us, for all that you've done. Father, I ask that your word would, the word that you have spoken to us, each one individually, I pray, the Lord, that it would stay with us, that it would stick down deep that it would take root, that it would cause us to think, to be challenged, to be encouraged. Because, Lord, we know that your desire is to glorify your Son through us by the Holy Spirit whom you sent. Lord, I ask that you would raise our expectations, that you would cause us to become thirsty people, those who desire more of your presence in our lives, those who would desire to live spiritually, walking in your spirit, empowered, assisted by your Holy Spirit, We thank you for these things, Lord. We just thank you that you are always faithful and that you are so good to us and that you are so giving and that you are so generous. We look to you for all these things for we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Stand to your feet.
1: Oh God, you are. see you